0: Going out to an outhouse in the middle of the night in Montana in December <laughs> with a headlamp. Did you see a moose? <laughs> I saw everything, every shadow. I was so spooked to go out there because I was sure a wild animal was going to get me. So, okay. That Do you think
1: was... wild animals are out there waiting for, By for, the outhouse. for, for, for you? Like, <laughs> this is where they go in the middle of the night. <laughs> we can get one. <laughs>
0: This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith.
1: And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today, we're talking about visiting Yellowstone National Park and Glacier National Park in the wintertime and our stays in two different Forest Service cabins in Montana in December.
0: From snowmobiling and snowshoeing to dealing with the freezing cold temperatures, it is a totally different experience visiting Yellowstone and Glacier during the colder months of the year. We love going to these parks in the winter because the crowds are way down, the snow looks absolutely beautiful, and it feels like we're living in a Christmas
1: card. It's definitely a unique experience, that's for sure. So today we're sharing both the good and the bad about our Forest Service Cabin experiences and the activities that we recommend while adventuring in these parks during the winter.
0: And to kick things off, we'll discuss what Matt has been busy making in his workshop. And at the end of the episode, we'll answer a question from a listener in our mailbag segment. Good morning, Matt.
1: Good morning.
0: It's nice to see your face again.
1: Well, it's good to see your face again.
0: <laughs> Thank you for. Uh, why are
1: you being weird?
0: Because you've been spending so much time out in your workshop. I I have hardly seen you in the last couple of weeks. It's like you're building a spaceship out there <laughs> or something.
1: <laughs> I'm not building a spaceship. You would know. You know what a man does in his workshop is, is <laughs> private business.
0: That's why I never come out there. I'm afraid.
1: You're afraid uh-huh. of my workshop. I'm afraid. You're afraid to see what I'm doing. That's right.
0: You've been spending a lot of time out there.
1: Well, I got a 3D printer that I'm learning how to use. Mm-hmm. And so I got this printer. I don't know, a couple months ago, and I started out printing. I didn't know what I was going to print, and I kept searching for things. I just—it's just a gadget to have. So I didn't know what to print. Now I figured out how to print topographical maps. So I found this website where you can download the topographical map data and convert it to a 3D print file. And so I got to the point where I was going to print the entire Grand Canyon.
0: <laughs> well, I know. that turned
1: out to be a little bit larger project than I wanted.
0: Well, you showed me one of the—I don't know—do you call it a tile? You showed me one of the pieces of the Grand Canyon, right. and it was—it was amazing. The, the it is uh, pretty cool the detail.
1: Well, my particular printer, I can print about a six-inch square, and I wanted it—the Grand Canyon—to to be large. It ended up; it would have been about eight feet long. So you have <laughs> to print six-inch squares at a time. I can't get the squares to line up.
0: Oh, mm, I'm
1: starting to. My OC is starting to kick in and the little tiles don't match up exactly. So I kind of, that went down an unhealthy path.
0: I see. (laughs) So that explains three of the last four weeks. (laughs) Well, that was,
1: that turned into many sleepless nights. Mm -hmm. Then I got discouraged at how unkept my workshop was because there was travel gear everywhere. There was sleeping bags on top of water purifiers on top of camp stoves on top of Important stuff that we needed like trekking poles and I Mm. couldn't find anything. So I decided instead of going horizontal, which is putting everything on a shelf and it's everything on top of each other, I was going vertical. So I started hanging stuff on the wall and that turned into its own kind of project (laughs) that consumed all of my energy. So I I started using the 3D printer to print hooks and holders for all of our gear. And that's what I've been doing. And I will have to say that when you have peeked in, you've been very critical of (laughs) my organizing activity.
0: Uh, uh, It actually looks amazing. And I do appreciate it because I can find you hung up a few of my things, like my trucking poles. But what I didn't quite understand is that you can go to any hardware store, drug store, grocery store and buy plastic
1: hooks. You can, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, in some cases, I'm making these hooks specific for the item. (laughs) Oh, so they're custom hooks. Yeah. Well, like like the propane canister. I make the little hook so that it's actually a holder. It's kind of like grips it. So it snaps in place. It snaps in place Mm -hmm. on the wall. So I know it – well, one, I know it it won't move and two, I'll know if somebody – has been in there messing <laughs> with it.
0: So how do you figure out the size, the size of the hook for a specific item to snap in place?
1: I have calipers. <laughs> I measure I measure the thing and then I use, <laughs> this is the part that I'm particularly proud of, is then I use an online CAD program,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a little computer-aided design program that where you can design your object and the one I'm using, it's a it's a free program. It's the one they use to teach third graders <laughs> <laughs> how to de- how to design with the computer. And was uh, it hard to figure out? <laughs> it's a little challenging. <laughs> it's a little challenging. I do like the use of primary colors that they. But getting there, I'm hoping to graduate to the fourth grade here soon. Uh
0: huh. I'm rooting for you. But my question is. At what stage are we in on the gear wall? Is it going to be another gear wall, more gear walls? Is all the gear up already? Well, this
1: is the great thing about going down these paths where your obsessive compulsive behavior, you never know where it's going to go. (laughs) You don't know how long the path is. You just keep going down the path. I have a feeling this isn't our only gear wall. Uh, That's what I was wondering. (laughs) I think we're we're much closer to the beginning than the end on this one. And as soon as I get everything organized and on the walls, which could be years, Mm
0: -hmm. then...
1: We start printing the Grand Canyon again.
0: There might be a whole business in this uh, making hook things. So if the national parks stuff so doesn't this work is a out.
1: Private, this is a private <laughs> endeavor. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have to say, we did post a Instagram story recently where we just inadvertently showed the gear wall. Mm-hmm. And this is, of course, the very early stages of the gear wall. It, it'll evolve. And people loved seeing the gear wall. I know, and i I was a little embarrassed because I kind of feel like mm-hmm. at this early stage it's not very well organized. So we may have to just switch our podcast to gear review podcast.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of that, in November we will have a bonus episode where we talk about gear that we use and love, and. You know, maybe we'll do the episode from your workroom, And I'm imagining a workshop. (laughs) It's
1: it's not just a room. It's a workshop.
0: I'm imagining that by November, every single wall will be covered with your hooks and with our gears. I never um, know where the path
1: is going. I don't even know where the path goes. That's what scares me. That's the great thing about being obsessive about stuff. I like today's topic. It's about going to Yellowstone and Glacier National Parks in the wintertime.
0: I know. That was one of your favorite experiences, wasn't it?
1: So many of our trips to the national parks are summer and hot and things that you do in the summertime and hikes and trying not to get heat exhaustion. But this is a whole change of pace, going to Yellowstone and Glacier National Park in the wintertime.
0: Also on today's episode, we're going to talk about how you can rent a forest service cabin, just like we did. Although when you're done listening to the episode, you might not think it was such a good idea to rent one in December in Montana.
1: Yeah, I thought you had gone off the deep end. A few years ago, you got on this kick that we are going to rent forest service cabins. I don't know if you've read an article about this. But all of a sudden, that was the thing. And not only did we have to put this on the list of travel things we were going to do, but we're going to do it in the winter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. On Instagram, I saw a post that Recreation.gov did talking about how You can rent a Forest Service cabin. And the picture that they put up was this cute cabin in the woods. And I just thought it sounded like a really romantic, wonderful thing to do. So we started doing it. And we are going to talk about a couple of those experiences in today's episode.
1: Well, let's start with discussing our Yellowstone trip. The very first trip. The very first trip when we were going to all the national parks And because of some scheduling issues, we ended up going to Yellowstone in February, which was fine because we figured we would do something completely different, which is snowmobile in the park.
0: That's right. And it turns out that Yellowstone is open all year round. But in the winter, they close all of the roads, except you can go in the north entrance from Gardner and you pass through that wonderful Roosevelt Arch, which is my favorite entrance. And they plow the road from that point all the way to Mammoth Hot Springs area. And they also plow the road through the Lamar Valley up to and through the northeast entrance to Cook City.
1: Yeah, it's a dead end there, right Mm. right outside the Northeast entrance at Cook City. So those folks in the wintertime, they're, they're at the end of the road.
0: So the only place they can go is into Yellowstone National Park, which which is actually pretty cool.
1: they want to get out, (laughs) which I'm sure sometimes in the middle of the winter, you get that feeling. they got to go all the way through the park.
0: That is a long drive. So as Matt said, we went in February. This was 2011. We went for a couple of days to do a guided snowmobile tour and then also some snowshoeing. So the guide company that we went with was actually Zanterra, which – was one of the concessionaires in the park at the time. But we found out later, after we wrote about this adventure in Dear Bob and Sue, then there were folks who wanted to do the same thing, and they contacted us and said that Zantara no longer offers the snowmobile trips. However, for anyone who's interested, there are guide companies outside the parks in the towns of Gardner and West Yellowstone in Jackson.
1: They only let certain authorized concessionaires uh, guide these tours. You have to have best available technology at the time, which means the snow machines, the snowmobiles are a little uh, less noisy and the emissions are, are lower. And then you have to stay on the groomed paths. So people can go in the park on, on snowmobiles, but uh, there, there's some rules around it.
0: Sure. And our package was we stayed at the Mammoth Hot Springs Hotel. So it was a package that included the hotel and the snowmobiling. It was before they underwent the big renovation that they did in 2017. They spent, I think, two years, and they spent $22 million.
1: We've driven by it several times over that course of the renovations. It looks like they replaced all the windows and the siding. So, yeah, we haven't been in any of the rooms since, but Mm -hmm. I would imagine they're updated since. And
0: maybe warmer.
1: (laughs) Maybe, Maybe a little warmer the night before our snowmobile trip. Ten years ago, we had a room on the first floor down at the end of the hall, kind of towards uh, the back of the hotel. It was a nice room, but it was cold. And I think outside it got down to about zero that night. Mm -hmm. And it was radiator heat in the room. And some time in the middle of the night, I decided that it wasn't warm enough.
0: Someone who shall remain nameless fiddled with the radiator in the middle of the night even though we had read a big sign that they had taped above it that said do not touch the radiator
1: <laughs> that's not for everybody <laughs> that sign <laughs> that's for people who don't know what they're doing
0: mm-hmm.
1: I on the other hand felt competent to oh, did to turn all the knobs <laughs> on the radiator uh-huh. what surprised me was about five o'clock in the morning, I get up, and for some reason at that point in time, I always had this thermometer attached to my backpack. So I look at the thermometer, and it was 45 degrees in our room. It was
0: freezing. It was pretty
1: pretty cold, and of course, being 5 o'clock in the morning, I had to go to the bathroom. So I get out and go out the hall down to the bathroom. I don't think we had a private bath in our room, and I remember stepping out into the hallway – and it was like this big warm hug.
0: <laughs> it, it was like it, a sauna yeah, out was, there. Yeah, it was
1: probably sixty-two <laughs> degrees in in the hallway, but it felt so nice that you even said when I opened the doors, you said, "Don't shut it."
0: I know, leave the door open.
1: We laid there in bed for about a half an hour, and guests were walking up and down the halls, and
0: uh-huh.
1: staff, and they would walk by our room and ask us if everything was fine. Yeah, it's everything's fine. <laughs> Just letting the warm air in.
0: (laughs) Just trying to defrost here. Yeah. That was the day of our snowmobile tour, and they were picking us up bright and early at 7 a.m. from the lobby there. And there were 10 of us, you know, waiting to be shuttled over to the warming hut, which was only about a mile or so away. And once we got into the warming hut, we met our trip leader, whose name was Cody, and then he outfitted us for the ride.
1: I thought that we would have to show up. Completely geared up in our winter outfits so, so that we would stay warm on the a snowmobile tour. But I think we could have shown up in our pajamas <laughs> yeah. and been okay mm-hmm. because they gave us everything big space suit that you wear, the gloves, the helmet, the boots, everything. Literally, you could have gone in your underwear and been fine.
0: Right, right. It was big stuff. In fact, when we were dressed, we kind of looked like astronauts there. But I was a little worried, Matt, about how you were going to feel about putting on used clothing that somebody else had worn the day before.
1: Well, I had more than just my underwear on. So, <laughs> so it was going over mm-hmm. some of my other clothes. So I I was OK. It, it caused me pause.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it did. So our tour for the day was to go from Mammoth Hot Springs down to the Old Faithful area, which is about 55 miles. And we were snowmobiling on that main park road. I think that's Highway 89. And uh, they they don't plow it in the winter, but what, they groom it? They, they th- groom it. So mm-hmm.
1: that particular winter, there was maybe – six to eight feet of snow on it, and then they groom it so it's pretty smooth. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, on the way, we made a few stops. We stopped at Gibbon Falls and got off and looked at the waterfall, and we pulled over at the Firehole River, and there were eagles in the trees and there were elk there, and that was really cool. And he stopped a couple of times so everybody could go to the bathroom. There were some restrooms along the way, but it was magical. It was snowing lightly. And as we passed by the thermals, the steam was rising in the snow and with the wildlife along the road, it was it was probably the most magical place I have ever seen.
1: It was pretty cool. One thing that I liked about it is the weather changed so many times that we went from sunny and the ice crystals were sparkling on the snow and in the trees to cloudy, to whiteout snow, back to sunny, and back and forth several times. We got every possible winter condition, which I thought was pretty cool.
0: It was very cool. Now, when we got to the Old Faithful area, we had a lunch break at the Old Faithful Snow Lodge. That's different from the Old Faithful Inn, which is closed in the winter. This kind of sits behind it. So we had, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half break, and we had lunch, and then we Had a chance to see Old Faithful go off, which was fun. And then we went into that visitor center there, which we love. And I think that is the first place that you got the idea of having a pelt collection.
1: It could have been. They had the pelts out, which I always like when a visitor center has their interpretive pelt collection out
0: back then you didn't have a pelt collection I had, in 2011 no, I had
1: two <laughs> I did I had two rabbits a gray one and a white one and you always would take the white one at christmas time and the white rabbit was your snow <laughs> Which I think is very disrespectful. <laughs> and to this day, it has those little sparkles on it. It's an inter- I, it's it's an educational tool. Well, it was perfect it for my
0: ceramic it. ski chalet to put, because it did look like a blanket of snow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. We did have a chance to see some wildlife along the way. As I mentioned before, we saw eagles and elk, but we also saw a lot of bison.
1: Right, the bison... We have been told as the winter goes on, more and more of them come out of the mountains and come to the lower elevations. And so we were there early February. There were quite a few bison along the road. And essentially what they're doing, they're looking for food. They use their big heads to move the snow around, and they're they're looking for any kind of grass or any, anything of nutritional value down at the base. And so, yeah, there were a lot of bison down by the road, which caused a few stops along mm-hmm. the way for us.
0: It did, because one of the regulations is you cannot approach wildlife. So there was at least one time when you could see down this park road, I'm not going to say a herd of bison, but maybe how many, like maybe six? It was, it was
1: yeah, yeah, half a dozen or, yeah. or, or more. And they were right on the road. Mm-hmm. and
0: Walking towards us. So Cody had us pull our snowmobiles over and he told us, you know, we're just going to sit here and let them walk past us, but be ready to pull away if for some reason things turn ugly. (laughs) So at that point, I'm scared because they're getting closer and closer and they walked within five feet of us and they're massive.
1: And uh, and they're big. They have these big black eyes that look Mm -hmm. like glass. And, you know, they're looking at you.
0: Oh, of course yeah, they are. They're, they're looking society. at side you.
1: You, 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 you make one wrong move <laughs> and they're going to horn you.
0: Yeah. Most of them had their heads down. And, of course, they have these huge frozen faces, ice is crusted in their beards. And they looked kind of sad and kind of miserable, to be honest. Anyway, they moved on past us and we were able to keep going. But it, w- it was fun to see them that close.
1: You know, we get a question often as we talk about this and we've written about it. Were we cold on that snowmobile tour? You'd think it would I be. I would. I, I was kind of concerned about that because mm-hmm. you know you get fifty miles away from home and you're you're cold and you got to go fifty miles back. That's uh, that that can be uncomfortable. I gotta say, I was never cold once.
0: I wasn't either. Although it was about twenty degrees that day, and we had asked Cody before we started out. How cold does it get when you 're doing these snowmobile tours, and he said sometimes they do it when it 's zero degrees out, but if it drops much more than zero, they cancel it. But I think it might be a little chillier if it were zero degrees
1: well they have there are a few things that help the hand grips on the snowmobiles are heated there 's some heat coming out by your feet there 's a face guard on the front of the snow snowmobile. You're dressed in really good gear. So the combination of all of those things, we were pretty comfortable.
0: We absolutely loved that day. Just imagine zipping. We would go anywhere from 20 to 40 miles an hour through the Yellowstone roads.
1: 40 is scary fast on a snowmobile. But there were a couple of times, particularly at the end of the day, because we had kind of done a lot of side trips and we had to get back before it got dark. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of spots where we had to hustle. And uh, we were going pretty fast.
0: We were. And yeah, it was getting dark. I think we got back about five o'clock, just as the sun had set at that point. Now... There are a lot of other things to do in Yellowstone in the winter, a lot of other tours available. We have talked to people who have gone on the photography tours and the wildlife tours, and they said those were fabulous. There are snow coach tours you can take to like Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone and other places. So you could go for days if you wanted to to Yellowstone and take some of these tours and spend a lot of time in the park.
1: And some people f- go to photograph the night sky mm-hmm. in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to do,
0: Yeah, we loved it so much that we went back the following Christmas in 2012 with our entire family, stayed at Mammoth Hot Springs again, and we had Christmas there, did the snowmobiling, did snowshoeing, and I have to say it was probably the best Christmas our family has ever had.
1: Yeah, that was fantastic.
0: So fast forward six years, and in 2018, we decided it was time to go back again in the winter. So we had started the year before going snowshoeing with our good friends Craig and Aya. We went to Mount Rainier for the weekend and we snowshoed there and we stayed in one of the in-park lodges at Mount Rainier. We decided we were going to do that every December before Christmas and sort of get in the Christmas spirit. We'd find some place to snowshoe, some national park, because to me, that's what's Christmassy, not the shopping malls.
1: It gets you in the holiday spirit. Mm -hmm. Snow's falling, you're in these wild open places beautiful scenery and so you decided to combine our december trip with craig and aya with this obsession you had with forest service cabins and we were gonna combine the two
0: Yes, that's where it all came together. And we decided that Yellowstone would be a good place to do it. When I was researching Forest Service cabins, the way to find them is you just Google Forest Service cabins and then plug in the state that you want. So for instance, Montana, and then a list of all the national forests in Montana came up. And under each national forest, they would list the cabins that were available to rent. Then you can find out all the information on the National Forest websites about the cabin. But if you want to book the cabin, you have to go over to recreation.gov. They're the ones who actually take the reservation. And both websites have photos, and they give you all the information you need. Now, just doing some preliminary research, I found out that the price ranges from about 35 to $70 a night. And you can book these cabins up to six months ahead of time.
1: And some of them go quick. Although we've kind of found that in the winter, they're not as popular.
0: (laughs) Maybe you don't need to book it six months ahead of time.
1: (laughs) Since we had already decided that Yellowstone was our destination, then you were looking at cabins and the north entrance there in Gardner is the only entrance that's open to cars in in the winter. We decided, well, we're going to look – somewhere close to that north entrance. So you narrowed it down to the Custer-Gallatin National Forest.
0: Right. And there were probably about a half a dozen cabins listed. They're all built in the 1920s and 1930s. They were used by the earliest Forest Service rangers. And when they say they're rustic, we're not thinking National Park Service rustic like Old Faithful In We're thinking rustic rustic, for instance, Some of them have electricity, but many of them don't. And some of them have wood stoves or electric stoves, but none of them have indoor plumbing. And some of them are located right on the road you can drive your car up to. And some of them you have to hike in or snowshoe or ski. So it's
1: kind of a built-in adventure.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And and, and
1: you kind of don't know what you're going to (laughs) get because it's winter and you don't know what the elements are going to be. So Mm -hmm. So you, you book this cabin. And you kind of were pre-selling it in the uh, late summer, early fall, that we're going to have this great Forest Service cabin adventure north of Yellowstone. But I never got those details about the no electricity, no indoor plumbing, no heat until pretty much, you know, maybe a week or two before.
0: (laughs) That's because I was afraid to tell you. (laughs) I was afraid you wouldn't go. Yeah. Yeah. So the cabin that I chose was called the Big Creek Cabin, and it was built in 1907, and it still stands on the site, but the original cabin is all boarded up. Now, the cabin that you actually stay in is next to it. It's the former guard station, and it was built in 1925, so, so much newer. <laughs> yeah, so it's a
1: new, it's a newer cabin. It's only about 95 years old.
0: Mm-hmm. It's the largest of the cabins in the Yellowstone District, and it's about 28 by 40 feet. It's a log cabin, and it has five rooms and two porches. Now, again, you can drive to this cabin when there's no snow. They do recommend a four-wheel drive because it's a dirt road. But in the winter, they plow the road to this spot where there's a closed gate, and it's a half a mile away from the cabin. So you either have to ski or snowshoe a half a mile.
1: And that didn't concern you at all, (laughs) that we would have to park a half a mile away and like post hole our legs through deep snow for a half a mile?
0: At that point, I thought, oh, it'll be such good exercise. What I was really concerned about was the part that said there's no electricity, there's no running water, and there is only an outhouse with a vault toilet.
1: So all of this means that we have to drag everything to the cabin with us. Water, food, lights, any form of heat, although... It did have a a woodshed that was fully stocked with wood. We had to split it, but that was fun anyway. Yeah, so we really didn't know what to expect before we got there.
0: Well, we didn't. Now, they did a pretty good job about telling us what guests should bring. And that was helpful. So the cabin had beds and it had a big table and some chairs to sit in and it said it sleeps 11 people i'd say that that is very that's yeah, i i'm not <laughs> i don't think
1: we're we're staying there with nine other people no you know there's a propane lantern and there's a cook stove and a wood heat stove but they tell you to bring a flashlight bring bedding cookware dishes utensils newspaper garbage bags all that stuff matches and toilet paper although the the outhouse was stocked with toilet paper it was surprising it was actually that was a nice outhouse for a pit toilet. That's about as good as it gets. Now, they're nicer in the winter, you know, when <laughs> because they don't smell. Because they don't smell as bad. <laughs> um, yeah, but but you know, bring batteries and candles. Basically, everything. It's like a wooden tent. Just that's think.
0: exactly what it is. That's correct. It's like you're camping outside, but you have a roof over your head. So after I booked it, Matt and I and Craig and I, uh, we did sit down and, and talk about it and think, are we just...
1: Is this a smart thing to arranged? do?
0: <laughs> and the answer was pretty much no. No, but
1: then we, let's do but, it anyway.
0: Well, yeah, because here's the thing. If it's available to book in the winter, then it must be okay, right? People must do it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And then my fallback was, if it's really horrible, we'll just bail, and we'll go into Bozeman and get a hotel room. And- I
1: like that you always have a bailout.
0: You always have to have a bailout, yeah, I, Actually, sure. I,
1: li- I like your bailout. In some trips, we should just go straight to the bailout, you know, <laughs> hotel <laughs> in Bozeman and go to the breweries.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> Can we just do that. In
0: hindsight. <laughs> so the trip rolls around in December, and it takes us about a full day to get to Bozeman. So we had plans. We spent the first night there in a hotel, very luxurious. Then the yeah, next day— afternoon. in. Yeah. <laughs> the Hampton. The next day we continued on the little bit to Livingston and that's where you turn south on 89 to head into the park. At about 34 miles was the turn off to our cabin and from there it's another 5 miles on a dirt road in this point though it was a snowy road to get to the cabin.
1: I thought the road was in pretty good condition. We had a four-wheel drive, so I wasn't worried. So we get there, and of course, yeah, the gate is... Gate's closed. Gate's closed. Now, I had decided that maybe we should bring some kitty sleds with us.
0: And can I just say, that was the most genius idea you have ever
1: had. I know, but like for the the (laughs) couple months before, you ridiculed me quite a bit. Oh, I do not remember that. I think I went to Target and got a couple of $9 sleds, and you thought that this is ridiculous. But then we're standing there looking at – the path to the cabin, and it was pretty good. We didn't need the snowshoes, although we had snowshoes with us. I mm-hmm. We didn't need to use those. But, yeah, we loaded up our stuff into the sleds, and it, it took a few trips. But you, we get there, and this cabin is sitting in this flat clearing surrounded by spruce and fir trees, and elevation is about a mile high. It's about 5,800 feet, and it was it was just beautiful. Now It was gorgeous. And,
0: yeah, this is at the end of the road, and past the cabin – in nice weather, you can drive a little bit further to some trailheads where you can hike forever into the national forest. So, so this is kind of the wilderness. And it did say on the website that bear and elk and deer and even moose. I would have loved to have seen a moose. Yeah. Yeah. The property, as we said, there are two buildings. There's the outhouse. There is a woodshed stocked with wood. And when we went inside the back door, you walk right into the kitchen. Then there's a big main room and two bedrooms. And that's pretty much it.
1: And the windows were all original. They're single pane glass. Some of them were broken and taped up, uh, but then they mm-hmm. were taped up and there was some cardboard over there. There's like zero insulation in this place, but that that was fine. In the main room, there was a wood burning stove that we used and kept lit all the time. There's a kitchen stove that's a wood burning stove that we never really figured out how to get going. It, I know
0: it, you and Craig worked on that thing could, forever. Yeah.
1: It could be that we drank whiskey before we tried to <laughs> light the stove, or maybe there was something defective about it. But that that back kitchen area, I swear it stayed colder back in the kitchen than it was outside. It was I, freezing. I, I don't know how that, that I know. could happen. And so that we kind of use that as our walk-in freezer.
0: We did because there is no refrigerator, obviously, in this place because there's no electricity. And so there was a door, thank goodness, from the kitchen into the main room, which we kept close. So we would keep all of our things that needed refrigeration just in the kitchen on the counter because it couldn't have been more than... Thirty-five degrees in
1: there. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it wasn't thirty-five. It, oh, you it, think it was
0: colder than that? Oh yeah, there was ice
1: on the floor. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that, it mm-hmm. was.
0: And I, I will say too, in the main room, the first thing we did was start a fire. It took a long took time a to heat up. Took, hours. Yeah, it took and took hours. a while to, to mm-hmm.
1: heat up the place. But once we had the fire going, it did warm the room. Now the room had. A big table where we ate and played cards and stuff. It also had a couple of single twin sized bed bunk beds, like the bottom parts of bunk beds, and that's Which where it was
0: kind of weird. That's it it like was Willy Wonka little... when the grandparents slept in the main room. It, yeah,
1: it was <laughs> a little bit Willy Wonka. It, it it was odd until we realized we went to bed at night that you're, you 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 want to sleep as close to the wood burning stove as you can. So Craig and I, <laughs> I slept there, and then we slept in a bedroom that was not far from the wood-burning stove.
0: Right. It was right next to the So neighbor. we were all, mm-hmm.
1: like, my head was maybe 20 feet from the wood-burning stove. You were a little bit closer, but that uh, that was key for later in the evening, that we, we tried to keep that stove going. We thought, well, we'll load it up with wood, and maybe it'll last, you know, four or five hours. We'll get up once in the middle of the night. We tried everything. We tried to close the damper and could not get that stove to last more than about 60 to 90 minutes where we just burn all the fuel even if we close the dampers so we would get up every 60 minutes and put more wood in
0: yeah we took turns but nobody was sleeping while the other people were doing it because first of all it, you know it's an old place that creaks and then when you open the door to put the wood in it made a sound like somebody was screaming
1: right and then of course you're now you're up and you have to go to the bathroom so you're going out and the door to the back is loud and and so anyway it's we, we basically stayed up all night listening to each other either trying to start the fire again or Mm -hmm. Go out to the outhouse.
0: So two things. First of all, going out to an outhouse in the middle of the night in Montana in December (laughs) with a headlamp. Did you see a (laughs) moose? I saw everything, every shadow. I was so spooked. To go out there because I was sure a wild animal was going to get me. So, okay, that do you think
1: was, wild animals are out there waiting for, for, the for, for, for you? Like yes. this, this is where they go in the middle of the night. <laughs> we can get way. one.
0: <laughs> okay, so that was scary, but that was not as scary as in the middle of the night. I swear, and everybody heard this, so it's not just me. There were creatures stirring.
1: Yes. It was the circle of life.
0: It was the circle of life. We heard above us on the roof teeny
1: tiny footsteps. We heard uh-huh. louder footsteps in the empty space above the the ceiling, mm-hmm. so the attic. Uh-huh. Uh, I think we, we had a family of pine martens or ermine up there living. And then the bigger animals were outside
0: on the front porch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there was one point in the middle of the night, and we all four of us agree. Mm-hmm. We heard footsteps. Yes, on, on the, the wooden f- front porch. On the wooden front porch, there yeah. were footsteps. You know. the, and I don't know if they were human. There was at one point something pushed against the door, uh-huh. so,
0: like, and it was locked. There was a yeah, lock on yeah. it. I
1: think it was just a coyote, just like nosing it, seeing if you know maybe I could get lucky. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. maybe. <laughs> Maybe some people who stay there don't don't close the door all the way. And.
0: Yeah, there was definitely something out there on the porch and pushing against the door. And I don't think it was a human. I think it was, it was some kind of a large animal. So yeah, pretty sleepless night, I'm just going to say. The first night. Yeah. <laughs> so the good thing is we had decided ahead of time, as far as meals go, because we did not know how well-stocked the kitchen would be, which as it turns out was not stocked at all. It was completely empty. No, yeah. I had
1: some cleaning supplies. But well, that's right. But it. I mean, there
0: were no dishes, silverware, there was nothing, no pots and pans. So we had decided we would cook our dinners ahead of time and bring them in pots. And all we have to do was warm them up. So we had chili and soup and all kinds of great stuff that we brought already made. Thank goodness, since we couldn't get that dang kitchen stove to work. So what we did was... We would take our pot of chili and put it on top of the stove in the main room.
1: And that worked just fine.
0: It worked great. And then Craig had brought this griddle. He put it on top of the stove and we made breakfast the next morning. We fried eggs. We fried bacon.
1: I have a photo. This is like the classic wood stove breakfast photo. We'll have to put it on the website. Yes. For this episode.
0: I think there were pancakes on that photo. yeah. Yeah. So we actually, even though we basically had no kitchen of any kind – It had turned into a walk-in freezer. We ate extremely well.
1: Well, the next day, our first full day there, we go into Yellowstone National Park because we wanted to do some snowshoeing. So we first went to the visitor center and a surprisingly large number of people in the park at that time, which is great. I'm glad that people go into the park. At least they were at the visitor center. So Mammoth. Yeah, at Mammoth Hot Springs. And so we... Wait in line for our turn to talk to the ranger. And we noticed there's a whiteboard uh, next to the desk there with wildlife sightings. So people, when they see, you know, they spot wildlife, they tell the ranger, and they put them up on the board, the date and, you know, what it was. And even though it was mid-December, there were still bear sightings.
0: Grizzly bear sightings from the day before. So when it was our turn to talk to the ranger, we asked him, What the heck? We had assumed that the bears would all be hibernating by this point. And he said that because they hadn't had a big winter storm yet, that the grizzlies were still out wandering a little bit looking for food. They had not completely hibernated.
1: And that last bear sighting was close to our cabin. I know. The the, the grizzly bear sighting. It was. So maybe it was a grizzly bear nosing the door trying to get our pancake Yeah.
0: We asked the ranger. We told him where we were staying and we asked him if there would be grizzlies out by that cabin and he said, well, definitely. Yeah. So anyway, that freaked me out even more about going to the bathroom in the middle of the night.
1: We had a great day. The weather was fair. Uh, Went from cloudy to sunny, but we snowshoed in a couple of different places in the Lamar Valley. And then we went up to Cook City and had lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of looked like a ghost town when we got there, but
0: we found one place that was open yeah. for lunch one but that's all we needed
1: yeah and and there's I think there's even a hotel that's open in the winter time there, so yeah, we had lunch and then headed back towards the cabin to have dinner and play cards and
0: and try to warm up again and try,
1: try to warm the cabin up yeah
0: <laughs> now that night we had a different strategy for keeping the wood stove going and that was we gave up yeah
1: craig says <laughs> you know i i haven't slept for two days and of course <laughs> n- neither have we and he said let's tonight we'll just load it up and when we go to bed which was eight o'clock mm. right because the sun's already been down for three hours we just load up the stove and it, it won't get that cold we just start it again in the morning so that lasted until I don't know, maybe eleven o'clock at night until we were all just so cold in our beds that we decided to start the stove up again, which is not easy in the middle of the night when it's a cold stove. So I we, think it we, took you a long time. We started time. the process of starting that stove up again. And then we got up. Yeah. We had no rapid eye movement sleep <laughs> that entire <laughs> that entire trip. <laughs>
0: So the next day when we woke up, a really good thing happened and a really bad thing happened. The good thing that happened was when we got up, it was snowing outside and it was beautiful. And it was like we were five years old again and it was a snow day. And I ran outside and I took photos and it was magical. So that was really good. Now the bad thing that happened.
1: Well, so I'm laying in my bed bunk bed, uh, looking out the window, seeing it snow, and I thought it was odd that as I'm watching it snow, the cabin started to move. <laughs> I thought that was odd. And it started moving more, and then it started – the room started spinning, and then I realized that the cabin isn't moving. I must have gotten food poisoning the day before somewhere along mm-hmm. the road, and I was sick and – as a dog, you looked horrible. I, I was, I had to visit the forest often and <laughs> I was just miserable.
0: So let's recap. So you're sicker than a dog. You are in a cabin in the wilderness with no heat or electricity or a bathroom. And
1: I thought this is where it was all going to end. This is how it ends. (laughs) I have, I have gone along with the last dumb idea (laughs) and it killed me. (laughs)
0: So you, then you had Craig and Aya and I staring at you as you're laying in your bunk which sick. Which helps a lot when when you're, you're nauseous. Sick.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Please could you get closer to my face and stare at me because could you I,
0: ask me again yeah, if there's anything we can do. Yeah, how
1: about leave. <laughs> go away. Yes. So you, I can die by myself. You
0: told us to go away and we went away. So the three of us we just took off walking Back into the National Forest with our snowshoes. And we found some great trails back there. You can just go forever. So the three of us snowshoed for, I don't know, maybe three hours. It was a beautiful day. I snowshoed a little.
1: I didn't have snowshoes on. I (laughs) ran into the forest, threw up, then (laughs) tried to find the cabin, (laughs) decide where I was going to die.
0: (laughs) So that was a good day. Fast forward great to the next day. It's one of my favorite <laughs>
1: days of all of our trips.
0: Okay. So the next day, two good things <laughs> happened. <laughs> we woke up and it was the most beautiful sunrise I have ever seen in my life. The sky lit up like flames of pink and orange and it was stunning. It was so beautiful. And then the other even better thing was is that you felt better.
1: It was a Christmas miracle. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually feeling good enough that I was up for a road trip. And so we went back into the park and we walked those terraces over there by Mammoth Hot Springs, which is really beautiful in the winter.
0: It is beautiful. And there are a lot of them. I mean, we spent, I don't know, at least two hours over there walking them all, and hardly anybody else was there. So that was a fun thing to do.
1: Yeah. I was still a little weak, but not too weak to eat. So. <laughs> About midday, we decided that (laughs) since we had brought a month's worth of food with us. Mm
0: -hmm. And it was our last day. And it
1: was our last day. We had one day left. We would just go back to the cabin and just lay it all out there and just eat and drink until – we couldn't anymore. So that's what we did. We had a feast. We had, we had a feast we had a and holiday feast.
0: I think the best thing we have ever had was we brought instant mashed potatoes. We made those
1: And carry gold butter.
0: <laughs> Kerrygold Gold Butter. And I brought some truffle salt. It was so good. I think we each ate like ten pounds of mashed potatoes. Yeah,
1: and I didn't throw up any of them. You so didn't. that and was you even, that was all that was a bonus.
0: I think there was even some whiskey consumed. And there we, was Yeah. Yeah, and we didn't mention, too, that we had brought battery-operated Christmas lights and also battery-operated little votive candles, and so it was very festive because even though we didn't have electricity, we had strung these Christmas lights throughout the cabin and lit the little votive candles, and it was like this little lit-up cabin in the forest. It was beautiful. It was magical, so definitely some good things about that trip. But the next day, yeah, we had to get out of there. Our reservation was up. So we packed all our gear. We cleaned the cabin. Now, one of the deals when you rent those Forest Service cabins is you have to pack out all your trash and you have to clean for the next people who are coming in. They they don't have housekeeping service. And we didn't feel like we were ready to drive back to Seattle just yet. So we decided to... Have one more night. We got hotel reservations in Missoula, and we stayed there, and we checked into the Hampton Inn. And I do have to say, we had electricity, we had heat, we had a warm bed. I mean, it was like heaven. Yeah,
1: I was wondering the whole time, like, why don't we do this instead for our winter trips? (laughs) Can we just go to a place with a comfortable bed and – a waffle maker every morning
0: <laughs> well yeah we might want to change there's, the there's plan no to that. there's no
1: animals running around uh, <laughs> trying right to abo- get in the right door. above your head or pushing on your on your door trying to get in
0: that's right so we had so much fun <laughs> that we decided we were going to yeah. do it again <laughs> See,
1: this i'm not in charge of making the plan a long time ago, you you just took over the trip planning, and this is what happens.
0: <laughs> well, we did learn some lessons, though. So, yes, I wanted to rent a forest. What lesson did you learn? <laughs> okay, we're going to sum that up at the end. <laughs> okay. But I knew that we needed to have electricity and heat. So – I started looking at Forest Service cabins again in Montana because we decided we wanted to go experience Glacier National Park in the winter. So that area is Flathead National Forest. So I got online and started looking at cabins, and I found one that has electricity and electric heat. Now, it still didn't have indoor plumbing.
1: Yeah, but I liked it when – I saw the electricity and the heat.
0: I know. That's a huge deal. You know, there was going to be another outhouse in the woods, and there are grizzly bears in that area as well. Also, and this was actually a little worse than the other cabin, there's a one-mile hike to the cabin, but only if the road is impassable to snow. There there was no gate.
1: This is my point. I don't think you learned anything from (laughs) – from the year before. <laughs> so what did you do? You booked 3 nights. <laughs> Which is actually the maximum stay you could book.
0: (laughs) We did. I booked three nights. And when the time came and the trip rolled around, we added a few days onto the front end just because three nights didn't seem long enough. So we extended our trip. We stayed the first night in Kalispell and the second night in the really, really cute little town of Whitefish. Both of those were hotels and very fun
1: Our last nights of flush toilets. This is, you know, this should be a sign when you are celebrating being able to go in a flush toilet.
0: So I don't think I mentioned this cabin. They all have names, which is super cute. But this was called Zips Place Cabin. And it's located about halfway between the West Glacier entrance and East Glacier, right off of Highway 2. So you turn off of Highway 2, and then you have to drive about two miles to the end of a gravel county road. Well, when we got to our turnoff for off of Highway 2, we were worried about what we'd find. You know, would we be able to drive all the way to the cabin or would we have to park a mile away and schlep our stuff? So we were very relieved when we got to that spot. And it was snowy, but it didn't look that bad. So we decided to go for it.
1: Well, yeah, the road was in okay shape it had quite a bit of snow on it but there was no gate blocking us so we just kept going i'd rather get stuck a half a mile closer to the cabin than park a mile away so we we just decided to just keep going
0: now zips sits in a beautiful little clearing in the forest just like big creek did but it's actually much newer it was built in the 1950s and it wasn't as rustic as big creek I know you and Craig were impressed because you guys kept saying, this cabin is tight as a drum.
1: (laughs) Well, every possible little opening that a critter could get in was meshed off and it was not drafty on the inside. It was really well taken care of. It
0: was. and. They had actual furniture. There were a couple couches and coffee tables and lamps that that they didn't have at Big Creek. There was electric baseboard heat. The kitchen was fully equipped. They even had a microwave and a coffee maker. So it was just a huge upgrade from the Big Creek cabin. Yeah, but
1: no, no indoor plumbing. So they, no they didn't water. have a faucet in, mm-hmm. in, or a drain and the, still had an outhouse.
0: Right. But it felt like the Ritz-Carlton did It did. It did. It, it was a nice place. <laughs> when you walked in the front, there was sort of a family room on one half and a dining room on the other. Behind the family room was one bedroom. Then behind the dining room was a kitchen and another bedroom. So two bedrooms, kitchen, dining room, and living room. So, yeah, it was great. It said it sleeps eight. I think that's an overestimate again.
1: You could probably get eight people in there. You know, if you had a family of eight, you know, some kids that – Sure. You just make kids sleep on the floor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we spent that first day unloading the trucks, unpacking. Again, we hung our Christmas lights. And then we had a few hours of daylight left, so we snowshoed around the property in the National Forest. There were some trails around there. So we were checking out the property, and it was beautiful. And then you and Craig decided – that it would be fun to try sledding on that big hill next to the cabin.
1: Well, that second year I was more prepared because I got a couple of bigger sleds because I figured we'd have to hike in for a mile. And so I got these sleds that were actually made for if you're going to ice fish and you have to drag your gear a mile out to the lake. So I I had these good-sized sleds. And we decided that we're going sledding. And there's a pretty good-sized hill right next to the cabin. There wasn't a path that you could sled, but we kind of figured if you do it just right, you could shoot down the hill and miss all the big trees.
0: There, <laughs> well, what about the outhouse, though? The outhouse well, was right well, in front.
1: <laughs> yeah. At the end, you had you had the outhouse to maneuver around, and that was a little tricky, We figured out at the end as we were rocketing down, if we dragged our hand on one side, we could get the sled to turn and or just bail out and just tumble across the snow. Anyway, (laughs) yeah, we we made a a sledding path up Uh the hill.
0: And I loved it because you started out about – Ten yards up the hill and you'd go down and then you went back and you'd go maybe 12 yards up the hill. And we then got 15, braver and You got braver, braver and braver. Yeah. That was a pretty big hill.
1: Yeah. You could also I, – when I was up there, I we kept going higher and higher. And, and at one point I thought, well, as long as I'm up here and can kind of see the area, we need to figure out where the life flight helicopter is going to land <laughs> because we would go – we, were, we would instantly be going like 50 miles an hour You guys, It was like a hill. bat out of hell. Yeah. So. I know. Thank
0: goodness Aya is a nurse. So that did give me some comfort. So the next day we went into the park. We went into Glacier. Now, Glacier National Park is a completely different experience in the winter than Yellowstone is. It's much, much quieter, and it does not have the same level of activities that Yellowstone does. So all the roads are closed in Glacier except – They maintain the roads in that little Apgar village area. They plow the roads for the first 11 miles of going to the Sun Road from the West Glacier entrance to the Lake McDonald Lodge. And on the east side, they plow a mile and a half to St. Mary Campground. Other than that, all the roads are closed.
1: Yeah, none of the lodges in the park, they're open. So you have to stay at one of the nearby towns or, or like we did, Forest Service Cabin. Uh, Yeah, and like you said, there's fewer activities in Yellowstone. It's it's much quieter.
0: So no snowmobiling is allowed anywhere in the park, not by individual, not by tour. And also there are no snow coaches. So the only thing you can do in Glacier in the winter is snowshoe and cross-country ski. There are no guided tours available of any kind except – On the weekends, they do have a ranger-led snowshoe hike out of Apgar Village. And you can even rent snowshoes if you don't have any. So that would be something fun to do. But other than that, it's a very, very quiet park.
1: If you go on the Glacier National Park website, they'll show you the snowshoe and ski trails. And, like, there's five areas listed. There's that Apgar, like you said, in the west. There's Lake McDonald. Logs. You can do some snowshoeing. Pole Briggs on the west side and to Medicine Valley, and then the St. Mary area in the east.
0: So we went into the West Glacier entrance, and we stopped at the National Park sign, and we took our photo, of course. We were lucky because when we were there in December, the road, the going to the Sun Road, was still open all the way to the Avalanche Picnic area. They do close that back at Lake McDonald Lodge at some point. In fact, I think they closed it the week after we were there. But we got to drive all the way to Avalanche so we could hike the Trail of the Cedars and continue on up to Avalanche Lake.
1: And the Trail of the Cedars in the snow is beautiful. And we saw maybe, I don't know, four or five other oh, people yeah, the whole time. there. Now, we didn't need our snowshoes for that part of the hike. But then if you continue on then you can go up to avalanche lake and then you kind of get into a little bit more uphill and so we strapped on the snowshoes and and got up to avalanche lake which again in the in the summer is pretty crowded place but we saw again a handful of people at the most up there
0: and we get up there, and of course, the lake is frozen, and the mountains are all snow covered. And it was the Christmas card photo right there. It was absolutely beautiful. And also, what I thought was cool is we've actually never done that hike before because, as Matt said, it's usually in the summer, it's very crowded. I think it's one of the most popular hikes in the park. So, every time we've tried to go, there's been no place to park. So it was fun to see it in the snow, and it was fun to see it with hardly anybody else there.
1: And then we did, had a couple of cool stops on the way out when we got back into the truck and, and we're heading back towards the cabin. Along that McDonald Creek, there's a couple of pullouts that we stopped, and we got some great photos. Then we stopped by uh, Lake McDonald Lodge, which, which wasn't open, but we could walk around the mm-hmm. backside and out that uh, dock.
0: Yeah, some gorgeous views from Lake McDonald Lodge. And then by the time we got to the cabin, I think you guys had a couple.
1: We did, t- did a few more runs yeah. <laughs> down the down the sled Getting hill.
0: braver and braver and higher and higher. And now, the next day, we decided to snowshoe in a different national forest. So we drove east on Highway 2 to Marias Pass, which is at the point where the continental divide crosses over the pass. And we were planning to snowshoe south from there on the Continental Divide Trail, which is in the Lewis and Clark
1: National Forest. And there was a large parking lot and no other cars yeah. but us. And so we parked and it was right outside a pretty large campground. Mm-hmm. And so we were there. It was, it was very, very windy. We weren't really sure we wanted to to snowshoe, but Craig and I kind of walked into the campground area in the trees a little bit, of, and once we got into the trees, it wasn't as windy. So we decided, yeah, let's try it. So we strapped on the snowshoes and and hiked in. And that that first stretch of the hike or the snowshoe trail was through the campground, and it was beautiful. It was flat, deep, deep snow.
0: Mm-hmm. And we found the trailhead for the Continental Divide. And we were on it for a while. And then something weird happened. I remember we went up a hill and all of a sudden we couldn't find the trail anymore. And Craig had it on his Gaia app and he could see it. But we just couldn't get to it because, you know, he would say, oh, it's just a little over to the east. But when we would turn that way, there would be a big ravine that we'd have to snowshoe down. So we kind of made our own trail that day.
1: Yeah, which was fine. It's it's a little tougher breaking a new trail in deep snow. But we figured we had the Gaia app. We could figure out how to get back to the truck if we had to. Yeah, that was fun. Eventually, we just found a nice spot amongst the trees and we tamped down the snow and we all sat down and had lunch.
0: Yeah, we had a lot of fun up there. And after we got back to the cabin, it was starting to get dark. But you guys, not only did you go back sledding, but you did it in the dark with your headlamps.
1: Yeah, some of our Christmas lights, they were battery-operated. So we just taped a set of lights to one of the big sleds and turned them on, and we had our headlamps. And Now, I do think we were drinking whiskey at that (laughs) point also. Uh, When
0: were you not drinking whiskey? (laughs) But
1: we kept going up further and further. And you thought that it was pretty pud, the hill, that we were were going down.
0: I didn't. But I I was actually afraid to try it. I kept telling myself I would do it before we left. But one thing I loved about you and Craig doing that was you guys were hooping and hollering and laughing. And it was like you were 10-year-old boys again. And I say that in the nicest way possible because – I mean, look at us. We're not 10 anymore. We're, we're not 10.
1: We're many 10s.
0: <laughs> so the fact that you guys were out there having such a blast, I loved it. And I and I were just cracking up watching you from the front porch. Anyway, so unfortunately, the next morning we had to head out. Again, this was a three-night maximum reservation. And when we woke up, it was a Christmas miracle. It was snowing. Another
1: Christmas miracle. Uh It was snowing. And the one thing that we had been worrying the whole time was being able to drive back to that cabin. We were fortunate that there wasn't that much unpacked snow on the road. But what if we're out there and a big snowstorm comes in and kind of socks us in? Well, it was snowing. It was easily snowing an inch an hour when we woke up. So we still had breakfast and took our time and cleaned the cabin. But we knew we couldn't stay too much longer or we would be stuck there.
0: I know. And as the snow kept piling up, all of a sudden we started to feel a little panicky. And we were literally running, carrying our stuff out to the truck, loading it up. And, of course, then we had to clean the cabin and get out all the trash. But once we were ready to go, I looked back at the cabin and the snow and the hill. And I thought – I'm not leaving here without trying the sled.
1: It was your turn. It
0: was my turn. So we got the big sled, I went up the hill, and it was scarier than hell from up there. <laughs> I know.
1: It's scarier at the top than, than it is oh from my the bottom. Gosh, you, it from looks the bottom so it looks steep. doesn't look very far. When you step in the sled
0: it takes and, and, and
1: sit down. It's instantly going fast.
0: I know. So I did it, it was exhilarating. And of course, to stop myself, I sort of had to just tilt the sled and fall out. But it was all good. And I was glad that I did it before we took off.
1: So that said, we've had now a couple of Forest Service cabin adventures. Would you recommend doing it again? And
0: In the winter, I would not – probably recommend Big Creek because it was just too difficult to stay warm at night and get any sleep. I think it would be a fantastic place to stay in the summer.
1: And some I think some people would like it in the winter. I think it's a little too rough for us.
0: Yes. I don't think we're, we're quite that we're, hardy.
1: We're, we're a little soft.
0: <laughs> now Zip's place was fantastic and I would definitely rent that again.
1: Yeah. If you can drive to it. Right and, and not have to do the one mile hike in with all your stuff or snowshoe in. Yeah, I I definitely do zip again.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: One thing I would say though about these forest service cabins is they can be a little dirty. There there can be some bugs. There might be rodents here or there. I mean, they're safe. Mm-hmm. You have to clean your surfaces. In both of these cabins, we had no rodents inside. The, we didn't ca- see the, any. The, the the cabins. They are well-maintained for what they are, but you're not renting a hotel room. This is not a resort. It's rustic. And think of it as camping with four walls and a roof.
0: Exactly. Now, when we rented the first one a few years ago, and I I told my mother what we were going to do, that we were going to stay in a cabin in Montana in December with no heat or electricity and no toilet, I remember she said to me, well, that sounds ghastly, <laughs> although she doesn't have a British accent. <laughs> no, is,
1: did she say it like that? That's weird because your mom doesn't talk like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and she asked me, why in the world would we voluntarily sign up to do something like that? And, you know, I got to thinking about it. And the reason that I like to do things like that is because I wanted to put us in a situation where we would most likely have an adventure, but not so much of an adventure that we might die.
1: Yeah, (laughs) or or freeze to death. I mean, (laughs) we could freeze to death, which we almost did.
0: That's true. But standing in a national forest in Montana in a snowstorm or at night under a billion stars, you know, it makes you feel alive. I think we have to keep putting ourselves out there because, you know, let's face it, you and I are never going to have an adventure just sitting on the couch.
1: Well, I don't know about that. We've said before we're going to start the Dear Robert and Suzanne podcast. We might talk about <laughs> We might talk about our couch adventures. That's all that I've had. <laughs> What's in the mailbag today? Oh, boy. Okay,
0: wait. (laughs) We're going to need some more enthusiasm than that.
1: (laughs) Karen, what's in the mailbag today?
0: Thanks for asking, Matt. You're welcome. So today's mailbag, first I have to explain a little background on the question or people will not understand it.
1: Just a long story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In an earlier podcast episode, we talked about our expired canisters of bear spray and what we should do with them now that they're expired. I guess you're not supposed to throw them away because they're under pressure. So we figured out that we needed to take them out into the backyard and discharge the expired bear spray. So we talked about that in an episode, and we received an email from Susan and Rick. And their question for the mailbag is, did you ever discharge the expired bear spray? If so, what was the outcome?
1: We did. We've been this had been on our to do list for a long, long time. Yes. And I was thinking the other day that one of our bear sprays has been expired for a little while, so we should, you know, go out and, and use it. And then I looked at it and it had been expired for five years. <laughs> so I, I think this literally has been on the to do list for five years. Right. We also had a trainer. So our, our good friend Craig of Craig and Aya, who we travel with often, he had heard us talking about wanting to practice the bear spray and very thoughtful gift one day. This is maybe, I don't know, six months ago. He bought us a trainer and I guess you can buy these bear spray canisters that don't have any pepper in them. They just have the accelerant so you can practice it without worrying about getting pepper on anybody So we had the expired bear spray, then we had the trainer, and we, yeah, we just went out to the backyard.
0: We actually learned a lot.
1: We did learn a lot. (laughs) And this is why you practice, Uh because we couldn't have anticipated some of the stuff we learned. First off, there is a safety on the top of these things that Mm -hmm. you have to pull off, and it's designed that you can do it with one hand, because you don't know if you're out hiking you have this thing in either a holster, I carry mine one of my water bottle pockets, and it's designed so you can grab it quickly and take the safety off with mm-hmm. your thumb. That all sounds easy until you do it. Yeah. And you never practice doing this thing because I've always worried that what if while I'm doing that, then the thing goes off?
0: But you were actually – pretty skilled at getting that safety off. You just flicked it off like it was nothing. But when it was my turn to try, I couldn't get the darn thing to come off. You do it with your thumb.
1: You, you, pitch you can. Yeah. So if you have both hands available, then it's obviously a lot easier to do it that way. The idea is this is something you have to do pretty quick. Yeah. So you just grab it. <laughs> if you know what you're doing, you put your thumb over it. But you enjoy Spraying that. I, I was a little worried that you're going to turn that on me while I was filming. You know,
0: it. I thought about it because you'd made a few remarks about that I was the bear. But what I did learn, and I was surprised by this, is that the spray, it did not shoot as far as I thought. That cloud of mist is what, like 15 feet away?
1: I agree. It, well, a couple of things. When it comes out, the accelerant is white. And I don't know if that's white because of the, it's Creating condensation or because it's under pressure, it's kind of like a icy mist. And that, that little cloud didn't go as far as I thought. Although I think what happens though, and you can't see this, that the cloud does go further. Uh-huh. And I thought it would be a bright red cloud of, of pepper. It's not, it's kind of white, but uh-huh. I, I could see some red in the cloud. So you're right, that initial burst doesn't go very far, but I do think it then it kind of disperses and your eye doesn't really see it. Mm -hmm. It was pretty powerful, though.
0: Yeah, it was powerful for sure. But, you know, if a bear is charging you, and we all know how fast they can run, which, okay, technically I don't know how fast they can run, but it's really, (laughs) really fast. So if they're coming towards you at a good clip – And you spray it, it feels to me like they would have enough momentum in their charge that even if it hit them square in the face, they're still going to be flying towards you. I don't know. I mean, I guess it is what it is.
1: It's easy to overthink this. The bottom line is you're better off with it than without it.
0: Absolutely. So if you're in a
1: situation, I don't think it's so much that the bear is running at you, although we've had that happen before (laughs) for a whole other stupid reasons that were totally our fault. It's more that they're coming at you slowly with intent mm-hmm. and that's not a good thing. And they no. get to a point where they're they're too close and uh-huh. it's time to try to back them off. So I think you have a little bit of time, but yeah, yeah, yeah it didn't shoot as far as I thought.
0: And after we posted some of the videos of our practice bear spray shooting, we, we posted it on Instagram and we did get a lot of comments. And one woman who spends a lot of time in the backcountry, she said, you got to practice so that it's almost immediate. You whip it up. You
1: you whip it up. Do you whip it up?
0: You whip it out. <laughs> You release the safety and it's going. So sh- she was saying, you know, it needs to be on your hip, which I think is is a really good suggestion. If it's inside your backpack, you're screwed.
1: Yeah, you're not going to dig dig around. Uh, no. So
0: I actually, the new bear spray we have has a little holster that it comes in and it has sort of like a loop on it that you could put through your belt loop. But I don't wear a belt. So what I do is I put the front strap of my backpack through the loop and clip my strap closed and it's hanging at my belly <laughs> and then i can <laughs> okay. slide it to the side <laughs> no,
1: nothing good would come from me commenting right now <laughs> so you can <could> just...
0: <laughs> right there so, you go anyway that's what i do because i found that if it's in my water bottle pocket of my pack i just can't reach my arm back there fast enough to whip it out and I'm worried. I'm worried about protecting you. So anyway, the other thing I wanted to point out is we have a friend, Steve, who spends a lot of time in the backcountry in Montana. And he has had to use bear spray before. And his suggestion was – he knew we were going to practice. His suggestion was do it with the wind – facing you, right, Mm -hmm. so that the bear spray blows back into your face so you can see what it's like to be blinded by the bear spray. He said, because chances are when you're out in the wilderness, if you have to use the bear spray, that's what's going to happen. And so he said, you want to be prepared and not go into shock when all of a sudden the bear spray hits you in the face.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a good point. We're Mm -hmm. not going to practice that. Never. (laughs) Never.
0: Especially not a Thank camera. you, Steve. We're not
1: going <laughs> to do that. You.
0: Thank you, Steve, for worrying about
1: us. <laughs> Although I could, I later in the day I could kind of feel it in my throat. Uh-huh. And there was there was a little bit of an after effect, but that does bring up a good point. You don't get to choose which direction a bear comes at you and it, which
0: direction the wind's blowing,
1: right? So I do think if you're in a windy situation, I don't know. I guess it's it's still better than not having it. The, the wind is a factor that mm-hmm. you can't figure out ahead of time.
0: Right. But it was great to practice. And if you don't have expired bear spray but you still want to practice, we would suggest buying the trainer and giving it a shot. If you have a question for us, you can send us an email to… Matt and Karen Smith at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. Go to Facebook.com slash Dear Bob and S, or you can find us on Instagram at Matt and Karen Smith. We'll review all the questions that come in and we'll be answering some of them in our mailbag segment on future episodes.
1: To see pictures from our winter adventures in Yellowstone and Glacier National Parks, go to www.thedearbob and and click on the title for episode 18. There you'll find show notes for this episode and links to other information.
0: Thank you all for the wonderful reviews you've posted on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate each and every single one of them so much. If you haven't had the chance to leave a rating or a review yet, you can do so on Apple Podcasts even if you listen to our show on Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or one of the other podcast apps.
1: So have you reached your goal of 500 (laughs) ratings and reviews?
0: No, but it's inching up there. We're getting really close. Do you look at
1: it every five
0: minutes? (laughs) Every hour.
1: Okay. The books that this podcast is based on are available on Amazon.com. Just search for Dear Bob and Sue. And you can also find more information about us by heading over to www.dearbobandsue.com.
0: Our show is produced by our fantastic team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. You know, Matt, in thinking about it, maybe we should go back to that Forest Service cabin in Yellowstone and give it another try. I think you'd enjoy it a lot more if you didn't have food poisoning.
1: (laughs) Well, I think that would be a good solo trip for you. You'd have plenty of company with all the creatures sleep in the cabin at night.
0: <laughs> I think I'm good on that.